Hey everyone, welcome to the Horror Pickle Podcast. My name is Jordan, and today we're going to be talking about a recently released movie called Barbarian. This episode is going to be a little bit off the cuff. In fact, I am actually leaving the theater right now uh, in the car. Um, I promise I'm doing this safely, so don't worry. But I did just see Barbarian, a new film by Zach Kreger. Never really heard of him before. But um, I just, I had to record this episode right now while it's fresh in my mind and I can still remember what happened, but also I'm just super impressed with this movie. Um, I kind of almost now sparked, well, re-sparked, rekindled my love for horror, which for a while... um, was was not really there. I mean, movies like especially um especially like Blumhouse movies really kind of just like always leave me wanting more. So, I really wasn't expecting very much from this, but like I said, I was very impressed. So, I'm just going to kind of ramble here and break down what happened in the movie. Um and then maybe talk about my thoughts about it. So, if you're interested in that, stick around. And I'm also curious to hear if you have seen this movie and if you liked it, what you liked about it, what you maybe wish would have been different. But uh, anyways, so yeah. So basically, this movie starts with our main character, Tess, who is in Detroit, Michigan. For a, We find out she's there for a job interview. Um, she pulls up to her Airbnb and parks on the wrong side of the road which is a common theme in this movie, but whatever, um, artistic choice. Um, and she gets out, it's raining and storming, and, uh, she walks up to the house, punches in the code for the lockbox, and finds that there is no key inside. So she tries to call the property management company that she's renting this Airbnb from to find out what the hell's going on. Uh, they don't answer. So she rings the doorbell and uh, goes back into her car, I guess. I Again, uh, this is completely off the cuff, so I might already be mixing up details. But anyway, uh, also spoiler alert, because I'm just going to like go through the whole movie. Anyways. Uh, so somebody turns on the light on the inside, and we find out that it's Bill Skarsgård's character. Uh, don't remember the name off the top of my head, but we will power through. Uh, so he opens the door and, uh, she's talking to him and, uh, we come to find out that he had also been renting this room, supposedly. Uh, I think we're supposed to doubt that we're supposed to be cautious of him. Uh, he's kind of set up as a red herring, I think, uh, to make us think that he's going to be the evil that lives inside this house. Uh, but really it's not. So he's set up to be kind of the villain, um, invites her in, tells her, Hey, this is an unfortunate situation, but you know, I don't want you to be out in your car. You can, you can stay with me for the night. So she goes in reluctantly. He pulls up on his phone, his like Airbnb listing so that she knows for sure that he was supposed to also be renting the house. Uh, which we find out is true, apparently. Although we're still supposed to have our doubts. Uh, so she stays there for the night. And um, 
There's the scene where, as she's getting ready for bed, she um, finds his wallet and looks at his ID and takes a picture of the ID and a picture of his picture. Um, which, I don't know, that really doesn't go anywhere. Um, but all of it's just kind of meant to let us know that we're supposed to be weary of him and also she's weary of him. So, uh, they wash her bed sheets and during that time they talk and, um, we come to find out that he is like one of the leaders of the Detroit art movement or something, uh, which just so happens to be the reason why she's in town is because she's going to be interviewing for a documentary film, which is uh, going to be a documentary about these um, Detroit artists, I guess. Um, but again, it's it's kind of framed in a way that I think is supposed to make us weary of him. Like, this is just too much of a coincidence. Like, he obviously knew she was coming. Um, but again, that doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, but it's, it's, all, it's set up pretty well. Like... In my head, I was kind of thinking like, oh, yeah, well, he's definitely not the bad guy because we're supposed to think he's the bad guy. But then like in the back of my head, I was like, oh, well, maybe they are going to go for the obvious and maybe he will be the bad guy. Uh, Anyway, so she goes to bed and um, is awoken in the middle of the night by the sound of her bedroom door opening. And she looks at the door, sees that it's open, and then can see into the living room where Bill's character is sleeping on the couch. And he's, like, moaning and making, like, scared, almost screams. Um, Which, I don't know what we're supposed to be thinking he's doing, but obviously he's having, like, some sort of night terror. So she goes out and back into the living room and uh, tries to wake him up and startles him awake. And he's kind of upset that she woke she woke him up. Um, but she explains, you know, you were making weird noises. My bedroom door was open, but never mind. You know, I'm just going to go back to bed. So she goes back in and locks the door and uh, goes back to sleep. In the morning, when she wakes up, it is light outside. And obviously she either, like, slept in. She didn't sleep in past her interview. Uh, but she slept in where obviously, you know, she has to kind of hurry to get ready. So she does that, gets ready for her interview and on her way out of the house, finds a note, uh, Keith, that's his name, uh, sees a note written by Keith that says, uh, you know, had to run, leave the key in the lockbox. Uh, I had a really good night last night. They had a, a good conversation, I guess. And there was a a part where, you know, it was kind of like, oh, will they sleep together? Won't they? You know, and then they end up not sleeping together. But the uh, the tension between them two is definitely in the room. So she heads out of the house and uh, out to her car, which is where she left it the night before. And we see her look around the neighborhood as she's doing this. And we see that the houses in this neighborhood are torn to pieces this is obviously not a good neighborhood uh she's a little you know kind of concerned like okay where the hell am i staying like i didn't see any of this at night because it was dark this is the only nice house in this neighborhood everything else is falling apart so we see more and more of these houses just in complete wreckage like abandoned houses definitely not fit to be living in um and we see more of these as she's on her way to her interview 
And then she stops at a cafe or a little restaurant or something, and this is where she is to be meeting the director of this documentary filmmaker, this the, the director of this documentary film uh, that she is interviewing to be a researcher for. Uh, it looks like the conversation goes great. Uh, again, this is this is all just kind of, uh, I guess, reason for her to be in town. It doesn't really have anything to do with the plot necessarily. But as she's wrapping up the interview and getting ready to leave, the uh, filmmaker asks her where she's staying while she's in town. And she mentions that she has an Airbnb and tells her the part of town she's in. And the filmmaker kind of like does a double take and is like wait a minute you're staying in that neighborhood uh that's not safe why the hell are you staying there and she's like oh it's okay you know like it's a it's a nice little house like yeah but i'll be careful you know i'm I'm a pretty tough tough cookie <laughs> so the filmmaker's just kind of like okay well be safe bye and that's the last we hear about the documentary at all so um on our way back to the house uh well, I guess maybe nothing really much happens on the way back to the house. But when she gets back to the house, she parks again on the same side of the street. Uh, you know, whatever. And um, uh, gets out and goes to walk into the house. And we see off in the distance a man screaming at her, running towards her, saying, Little girl, little girl, little girl, come here, little girl. And obviously we're meant to be freaked out because of the neighborhood that she's in. And we're obviously supposed to be... Uh, you know, put on the edge of our seat because there's a creepy man running towards her. But I will say, as this was happening, I was thinking, oh, yeah, something's going to happen. He's definitely trying to get her to not go into the house, but they're framing it as we're supposed to be scared of him like she is. Um, so anyway, she she runs up, gets the key out of the lockbox, gets in the house and locks the door just in time for this guy to start banging on the window of or banging on the door. Um... Then she is uh, goes to the restroom, I believe, and this is when she realizes that they're out of toilet paper, and so she searches around the house to find it, can't find it anywhere, ends up going down into the basement, uh, finds the toilet paper. However, the door locks, uh, the door to the basement shuts and locks behind her, so she's stuck in the basement. She doesn't have her phone. Um... And she doesn't have the key. No, she does have the key. Uh, so she doesn't have the the her phone, so she can't call anybody. Uh, but she does have the key. So when Bill's character, Keith, comes back, he's not able to unlock the door because she has the key in the basement. And he can't get it because it's not in the lockbox. That's, that's what it was. Um, so anyway, so she starts looking around the basement instead of just say, staying where the fuck she is. Uh, she's snooping around the basement and finds this rope that's coming out of the wall. And at this point, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this part was in the trailer. Like, there's a secret room down here. Um, so she tugs on the cord and sure shit, the concrete wall opens up and there's a passageway down into a hidden room of the basement. Uh, she sets up a mirror and um, angles it so that it's pointing down the hallway of this, you know, darkened corridor so that uh, it reflects the light off of the ceiling and she can see down it. And as she does that, she sees a um, 
a doorknob at the end of the hallway and that's like gold and glistening and with the light so you know she thinks oh maybe this is another way out of the house so i'm gonna go down this dark creepy corridor because that seems like a good idea so she does that and this is all you know intense moment we're supposed to be on the edge of our seat which i was i will say the uh the thriller element was definitely there i was having a bit of anxiety watching this like it was actually you know set up pretty well like it was great filmmaking like i have to say it, it was a great movie um so she gets down to the end of the hallway opens up the door and finds this white room with a dirty ass stained mattress and a VHS camcorder on a tripod. And we're like, okay, what the fuck is this? Uh, there's also like a bloody handprint on the wall. So, uh, obviously we're supposed to, I think our mind is supposed to go to, oh, this is a room for sexy stuff. Which it is, um, you know, but terrible, gross, sexy stuff. So, anyways. Um, so, then I think she hears... Keith come home so she runs back out of the room down down back through the hallway into the main part of the basement and uh sees him banging on the door so she bangs on one of the windows of the basement to grab his attention he sees her down there and is like uh what the fuck so uh they they're able to open the window together she passes him the key and he's able to unlock the door and come open the basement door so she can be free uh, at this point, it's like any horror movie where you're just telling them, okay, get the hell out of there. Uh, why are you screwing around? Get out. Uh, you know, like everything would be fine if you just left. But no, of course. Uh, he convinces her to stay while he goes to check out the basement. And again, I think this is the point where we're really supposed to be thinking, okay, here's, you know, he, we're going to, it's going to be revealed that he's the bad guy. He's lured her in there. He's going to trap her down in the basement. Um, and we're telling her to get out, get out of the house. Um, and don't stick around for him because he's going to lure you back in there and lock you in. Uh, but alas, uh, she's too nice and she stays. And there's also a, a line in the earlier scene, um, where she says something along the lines of, well, women are too nice. Um, and men would never do the things women do because women feel like they have to be nice all the time. So, um, that's kind of like a, a subplot and maybe like a reason for why she decides to stick around. Um, you know, we think back to that conversation earlier. So she stays upstairs while he goes downstairs and all of a sudden we just stop hearing him. We don't hear him, him yell for her. We don't hear him say anything. So she starts yelling for him, uh, doesn't get a response and uh, reluctantly goes back down into the basement. She uh, takes a dining room chair and pushes it up against the door so that the, the door doesn't close. Like, apparently the house is crooked a little bit. So, uh, like, the door with gravity closes by itself. So she puts a chair there and goes back down to the basement. And this whole time we're like, nope, don't fucking go down there. Um, but she goes down and goes down the hallway uh, and then sees that at the end of the hallway is not just the room that she saw before, but there's actually a, another door that is kind of disguised to look like a wall. And behind that is an even longer corridor, uh, like a freaking underground, like 
tunnel, like the Underground Railroad or something. I don't know if, I don't know if we're supposed to think that, um, that the original owner of this house dug this tunnel, or if it was there already. We don't know, but it's just a massive underground tunnel system. So she's yelling for him, Keith, 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 and eventually starts hearing him screaming from the distance. So she opens the door, and there's a set of stairs that go all the way down. And she starts going down the stairs, and of course we're like, what the hell, you're stupid, don't do that, he's trying to trap you. And eventually she gets to uh, the bottom of the stairs and is looking around in the tunnel... And then there's, like, a semi-jump scare where he's, like, crawling towards her and, like, telling her to be quiet and saying, like, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta come this way. There's, there's somebody down here and she bit me and don't go back the way you came from. That's the way she is. You have to come, come with me this way, deeper into the tunnel. And we're just like, oh, fuck no, he's trying to trap you, bitch. Um, then, then, the real twist, the real kicker. Uh, there's this creepy ass woman with saggy boobs, old lady, long, gross, matted, black, wiry hair, um, a nasty face, and um, basically, like, if you've ever seen The Shining, like, the women in the room 237, that's kind of what she looked like when... when uh, the lady's hugging Jack and she looks in the, or he looks in the mirror and then it turns into this like saggy, gross woman. Yeah, that's basically kind of the look that they achieved. Um, so this lady grabs Keith's head and starts banging it into the stone wall of the basement and just repeatedly banging, banging, banging his head. And we just see it progressively getting more like torn up and bloody and nasty. And at this point I was just like, uh, okay, what the fuck is going on? Obviously Keith is not the bad guy here. Uh, he just got fucking killed by this lady. So she's bashing his head, bashing his head, bashing his head. And then we cut. To a man. Driving along the coast. Singing a song, not a care in the world. Before this song is interrupted by a phone call. Which we find out are from some people at a TV network. Justin Long is the man driving in the car. Apparently he is some sort of TV executive. Something along those lines. And uh... He had been working on a pilot on a show, but the uh, news he's receiving is not so good news. Come to find out, he is being accused of raping one of the actresses on the show. And uh, he is no longer welcome back at the station. He's essentially being fired. They're not going forward with the, with the pilot that was picked up. Um, and uh, even worse yet, he is uh, being brought to court, sued for this, and... Um, fired from his job and uh an article is being published about him so that he'll never be able to work in hollywood again he's obviously upset by this he maintains that he did not commit these crimes and that the woman is a lying bitch his words uh so anyway he goes to meet with his financial advisor to just see how bad things are now that he's not getting any income the financial advisor tells him he has about three months before he's completely broke he has a few assets uh, that could buy him a few more months, but, uh, basically, yeah, without any income coming in and all the legal expenses and things like that, he's not going to be rich for very much longer. Uh, also the financial advisor decides that he's no longer willing to take on this, uh, Justin Long's character, whatever his name is. 
is no longer able to take him on as a client and will suggest that he finds another financial advisor. So Justin's pissed by this. He leaves and uh, gets on a plane and decides to head to Michigan, of all places, because uh, if you're following along, um, the assets that he owns happen to be some properties in Michigan, uh, which um, we are led to the conclusion that that means the house that our original characters have been staying in is owned by Justin Long's character. Uh, So Justin gets to the house, sees that it's in complete disarray, obviously, because um, there's people in the basement and they kind of abandoned all their things. So he sees their clothes, their toiletries and things like that. And uh, we see that um, the uh, door to the basement is propped open also. So Justin calls the property management company finds out that no, nobody's living there. Uh, the last guest checked out weeks ago and, uh, nobody's been there to service the house and clean anything because they don't send a maid there until somebody rents it. So rather than cleaning up after somebody, they clean up before the next person comes in. Um, yeah. So then Justin is kind of like, okay, what the hell? Like, is somebody squatting in my house? Like what's going on? Uh, we get a little conversation between him and his mom uh, about um, the things he's being accused of. Uh, anyway, then he gets a call from his friend, who uh, is obviously lives in Michigan, and Justin says, you know, hey, I'm in town, let's go get a drink. So they go to the bar, and during this scene, we essentially find out that, in fact, Justin did sexually assault this woman Uh, and he said he didn't consider it rape because she didn't want to do it at first but eventually she came around and he convinced her and he's a pretty persistent guy so eventually he convinced her to have sex with him Uh, which in essence means yes he raped her and he's denying it Uh, and is either just too full of full of himself to realize that he in fact did it or he thinks he really didn't do it or he knows he did but he's trying to play it off Uh, but he's talking candidly to his best friend so we can pretty much gather that he's now telling the truth and in fact he did do what this woman says so he gets completely trashed at the at the bar and goes back to the house he's drunk and as he's drunk he makes a call to none other than the actress who is pressing the charges against him and drunkenly leaves her a message saying, hey, I'm really sorry if you were offended by anything I did. Like, give me a call back. I'd love to apologize to you. And then he passes out on the bed because he is completely wasted. Uh, there was also a scene while he was on his way to this house originally um, with him talking, I'm assuming, to his attorney, uh, basically asking if, you know, if I could just if I could just call her and talk to her then I think I think I could make everything okay. And the attorney says, no, absolutely not. Under no circumstances are you supposed to be contacting her. And then we get this scene of him drunkenly contacting the woman who he's not supposed to be talking to. Um, then he wakes up the next morning and um, I, I, I guess now I'm a little blurry about what happened, uh, but eventually ends up going down to the basement Uh, and seeing the setup of the mirror facing against the wall, wondering why that's there, he uh, also sees the rope coming from the 
the wall and decides to pull the, the door open and he sees this hallway and his first thought is not oh my gosh look at this creepy hallway it's uh holy cow this house that i own is now probably worth more because it has an extra room in it so he um goes follows the hallway down and sees the the extra room with the bed and the camera and then uh, we get a shot of him googling uh are you able to claim an unfinished basement as part of the square footage of your house uh this character is obviously has his priorities messed up uh, but he's played brilliantly by justin long he gives the movie some great comic relief um especially in this scene where you know we just saw the terrible things and the scary stuff that's been happening in the basement and then we see him uh trying to figure out if he's able to make money or more money on the house because of this extra space in the basement so cut to him with a measuring tape measuring the square footage of the basement to try to get an idea of how much space is under there um then he goes and he measures the the spare room in the basement and is like sitting on the bed and then we get this beat of him like being like oh gross i'm sitting on the bed and then that was kind of funny um anyways so then uh he also finds that the initial space that he saw is not all that's down there and there is there's that second second fake wall that leads to more underground passageways so he opens that up and he is with his flashlight and tape measure taking measurements of the down the stairs and of all the corridors and of all like the entire underground space uh so it's kind of a interesting just juxtaposition from before when uh tess was looking down there and you know the super tense moment of her wondering what's down there and then you have this jackass like measuring it because uh, he's greedy and wants to know how much he can sell the house for and he eventually too is acquainted with our main antagonist the wrinkly saggy old creepy woman that lives in the basement um, he comes upon a room with blankets on the floor and the TV which somehow there's electricity down there a TV that is playing a video of a woman nursing a baby and it seems to be like old VHS tape of this um, kind of like how to and why to uh, nurse your baby um so he is acquainted with the scary gross woman and um they kind of get into a a a, a spiff if you will uh and uh he ends up in a pit in the ground he's running away from her and he falls into this pit that has been dug out farther deep into the basement uh probably a good like eight or nine feet deep pit uh he falls down there and guess who else is in the pit tess from earlier who has presumably been down in the pit for at least a week now um and then after he falls down a big grate is let down over the entrance to this hole and they are both stuck in there um then there's like a flashback to the original i'm guessing like years ago like whenever reagan was president because that's the uh one of the 
things that are playing on the radio in this segment. Uh, but it was kind of cool. We got like a bit of an aspect ratio change to show that we are now back in the past. Uh, a man walks out of the house, which is the, the same house. Um, however, many, many years ago, so it's in a much greater condition. The entire neighborhood is in much better condition. The houses are, are full houses. Um, people are living in them. The lawns are freshly manicured. Um, it's obviously before the entire neighborhood was abandoned like it is today. Uh, so a man comes out of the house, gets into his car, and drives to the supermarket. He asks one of the workers where he can get baby supplies, and she walks him over there, asks how old the baby is, said that the baby hasn't been born yet. She says, congratulations, here are the things that you need, and she loads him up with all these different supplies. He leaves and gets back into his car, and before he takes off to go back to his house, he waits and looks across the way and sees a woman, who also must have been at the store, putting her groceries in the back of her car, getting in and driving away, and he follows her home. So then he's parked in some sort of alleyway off to the side, and we see her in the distance getting out of her car and going into her house. He gets out of his car, goes back to the trunk, and puts on a... Uh, like jumpsuit like a like a worker's jumpsuit um one piece like coverall work uniform and uh goes and knocks on her door pretending to apparently be somebody named carlos that's what the the name tag on the jumpsuit says and says hi ma'am i've been sent here to check out your house to make sure everything's okay like do you mind if i come in so he goes to the bathroom turns on the faucet and i think unlocks the window um, I'm assuming so that he can come back later and get access to the house, which maybe he was like waiting till it was dark or something, but also like if you're going to get access to the house, like through the front door, then why do you need to unlock the bathroom door? But anyways, basically, uh, we're led to believe that this is a bad man and he has, um, some harmful intentions with this woman. So, uh, after he does that, he leaves and uh, the woman asked if everything was okay. He said, yep, so everything seems to be fine. But if you notice any issues, give us a call. Um, and then he goes back to his house. Um, so, oh, that was the other thing. At the store he bought was a VHS tape that was like how to nurse your baby or something. So obviously then we correlate that with what we saw on the TV earlier and see that the tape he bought uh, at the store was that tape that's playing and obviously like somebody is his child we don't we're not really sure who who he is who his child is who this creepy lady in the basement is but we know that we're getting some sort of backstory and um it's all kind of connected so he gets back into his house and um takes some things down into the basement and then it it quick flashes back to present day back in the house uh, so then we cut back down to the pit where um, Tess and Justin Long's character, AJ, is his name, are down in the pit and they are being offered a nice cold bottle of milk by a very long, gray, wrinkly hand with extremely long fingernails, um, which is, of course, this creepy woman who's been living in the basement. Um, she is offering them 
similar to a hamster in a cage, a bottle of milk from the heavens above. Uh, Tess tells AJ to just drink it. Just do as she says. Don't freak out. If you get upset, she'll get upset. Just relax. She just wants you to be her baby. Uh, which we're kind of like, okay, so obviously that's this woman's problem. Uh, maybe she lost her baby. Maybe that was the baby that the man in the previous scene was purchasing supplies for. Um, we're starting to kind of piece together what might be happening. Um, so Justin refuses to drink this milk. Tess drinks it. And um, because Justin refuses, he's pulled out of the pit and taken into this room where the video, the nursing video is playing. And the woman holds him and caresses him and mimics the, the, um, the actions that are being portrayed on the video as far as like caressing the baby, booping it on its nose, kissing your fingers and then touching the baby's head. Um, she's holding Justin Long, AJ, um, and doing these things as the video is playing. While this is happening, Tess is jumping and climbing and trying to get out of the pit. Eventually she's able to. She grabs the flashlight that AJ had and um, walks up to the the entrance of this room, peeks in, sees the gross crap that's happening, and proceeds on. And she's able to... Um, oh, actually she hits... That's right, he had dropped the tape measure earlier. So she accidentally bumps into the tape measure and makes a noise and then the woman uh hears that and presumably chases after her so she runs really fast up the stairs uh the door is shut and locked uh so then she has to you know get back down and um go back to the same window that she came out of or that um her and keith had opened earlier and she smashes the window and tries to claw her way up out into the yard, the front yard of the house, and um, is assisted by none other than this homeless man who was the man that was chasing after her earlier uh, as she was coming into the house after her job interview. Um, she's kind of assisted and almost saved by him. So we find out that, um, you know, our suspicions from earlier were accurate and we were made to believe that he was trying to harm her, but really he was trying to help her and tell her not to go in the house. Uh, so as she's pulled out into safety, we see the wrinkly woman kind of clawing after her and trying to get at her. Uh, but she doesn't come out of the house because apparently she doesn't leave the house until nighttime. And the uh, the homeless man tells Tess, you know, go, go walk this way. Don't come back to this house. Get out of this area. Definitely don't be here after dark because she'll come out of the house and she'll come to try to get you. So... Tess walks to the a gas station nearby and calls the police. And um, the police don't believe her when they get there. They don't believe that she's been held a prisoner. They don't believe that there's anybody in the house. Um, they think she's basically a crackhead, and she's trying to prove that she's not. Uh, and um, so they get a get a call and um, to go somewhere else. Um, and she's just kind of upset that they're ignoring her and not listening about, you know, what's happening down in the basement of the house. Um, so she goes back to the house, Tess does, um, I think with the cops and is trying to get in and says, you know, I don't have the key. They say, well, if you don't have the key, you obviously don't live here. You know, nothing's happening. 
we should probably arrest you for, you know, causing a scene. And you should come to jail and sleep it off. Uh, obviously thinking she's under the influence of something. Uh, so they're, they're basically useless. Uh, so she decides to take matters into her own hands. And she breaks through the window, the main window, climbs in to the house, grabs her keys. And um, at this point, it, it's dark out. Uh, so we're kind of on edge as far as, like, she's not supposed to be here after dark. Like, this woman is going to get her. So why are you going back into the house? We think maybe she's going to try to save AJ. But, um, you know, she's she's grabbing her keys and she's going to gonna try to leave. Um, and as she does that, the wrinkly woman bursts out of the house and uh, charges at her. So Tess floors her car and sandwiches this lady in between the car and the house. Um, and apparently this lady is, like, super tough and, like, resilient because she survives this. Uh, and it, it, it looks like maybe she does die, but then later on she's she's not there. Um, so as all this is happening down in the basement, uh, Justin is able to get free, or AJ, is able to get free because the woman is now chasing after Tess uh so he walks into this other room uh which has like a bell coming like hanging on a chain the bell is outside of the room and then a chain goes into the room so that who's ever inside could you know pull the bell and then signal that they need something um so he goes into this room and finds this old man laying on this bed and he scares the shit out of him and we can see that this man is the man from before, uh, from the, the flashback scene. Uh, this is the man from way back in the day, very, very sick, living in, in complete squalor, uh, garbage all over the place, uh, dusty bottles of water all over the place. Uh, so Justin gives him a water and has him drink it, and, um, as he's doing that, he, uh, I keep saying Justin, but his character's name is AJ. AJ, Justin, same person. Uh, AJ finds these tapes, these VHS tapes, and they're all labeled um, either with names or with some sort of identifying feature of the person that the tape is containing. So, um, like, one of them said, like, Irish accent. One of them said Stephanie. One of them said no teeth. Like, they were just all, like... Either names or ways to describe the person that the tape relates to. So there's a tape that's already in one of the in the TV that's next to it um, that says "gas station redhead." Uh, so Justin pushes that in to the the TV and watches the tape, and we are led to believe that it is the man that is laying on the bed, and the man from the flashback. It is him doing horrible things to the women that are on these tapes. Um, apparently he's been kidnapping people and bringing them down into the basement and recording himself doing ter terrible things to, to them. Um, and this is specifically interesting to AJ because uh, obviously he's being accused of raping somebody. And I think in his head he doesn't think of what he did as bad because it wasn't what he's seeing on the tapes. Uh, it was nothing near as gruesome and as forceful as that was. Um, 
but I think maybe somewhat he's kind of conflicted because he sees that and he thinks, you know, oh, this is terrible, but, you know, is what I did actually any better or do I just think it is? And, like, am I this person? Um, and so as this is happening, the man on the bed reaches into the side table and pulls out a gun and Justin's character, AJ, um, is like, no, dude, don't shoot me, uh, says something about him being a disgusting person, and then the man on the bed turns the gun on himself and shoots himself in the head. Um, so, again, I'm not really confident as to the actual timeline, because it was kind of, you know, flashing back and forth, I think, but eventually, uh, Justin leaves the house and meets back up with Tess, and, um, Go, they go outside and then they look at Tessa's car and they see that the woman that was sandwiched in between the car and the house is no longer there. So she's obviously survived the hit and is, you know, elsewhere and is still a threat to them. Um, oh, but I forgot. Okay, I forgot a part. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I forgot this part. Uh, so Justin actually doesn't come up by himself. Tess goes down there and goes down back in to find him. And um, uh, AJ, Justin, has taken the gun from the now dead man and is uh, walking back through the corridor, uh, through the underground tunnels, um, and has the gun at the ready in case he sees the the wrinkly woman. Uh, so he obviously um, is not really watching and is kind of... Uh, you know, quick on the trigger. And um, as Tess goes down to try to find him again, uh, he ends up shooting her because he doesn't see who it is. He just sees that somebody's there and he ends up shooting her. Um, so she's still alive, but bleeding pretty bad. He shoots her kind of like in the stomach area. And um, so he kind of helps her get up, and then they leave, and then that's when they see that the woman is now not there, um, stuck in between the car and the house. So they keep walking uh, in the same direction towards, um, like, the gas station area, and um, and I think, oh yeah, and then they uh, see the homeless man who is like, shh, you guys, be quiet, come here, and he takes them to his little... Uh, kind of like area where he lives um, they're trying to find a way to to kind of tie up the wound and put some clean cloth on it but obviously he's homeless and doesn't really have very many clean items as he says uh, but they're saying you know let's just wait it out till it's daylight and she goes away uh, you guys better just stay here don't risk going out there um, you know Tess you'll make it through the night but you got to stay here. You can't risk leaving here. Um, and then they say, like, well, how do you know that she's not going to come in here to get us? And the man says, well, I've lived here for 15 years, and she's never once, you know, came in here. And just as he says that, of course, she rips through the wall and um, grabs the homeless man, puts him in a chokehold, and then just, like, rips his arm off, like... Apparently, she has, like, superhuman strength also, as well as being practically invincible. Uh, so she rips his arm off and is, like, beating him with his own arm. Um, so then AJ and Tess manage to escape as that's happening. 
but uh, she is chasing them not too far behind. Um, at this point, we see AJ is kind of outrunning Tess and almost like just kind of like, well, I don't really have to outrun the the wrinkly lady. I just have to outrun Tess and then she'll get to Tess and leave me alone. Um, which, you know, we're kind of conflicted about him because, you know, he did stop to save Tess. He felt bad about it. Maybe he is coming to terms with, you know, himself maybe not being that great of a guy, but he realizes that he has to take responsibility for his actions and has to 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 fix what he's done. And he means this in in the way of he needs to help Tess, but we can read into it and realize that he's actually also talking about uh, what he did to the to the actress earlier. So uh, we don't really know what to think about him. We're thinking maybe he is an okay guy, um, but then as they're outrunning this wrinkly lady, uh, we see that maybe he's not because he's definitely leaving Tess in the dust. And so they run up the side of this very tall building, almost like a water tower or something, and they get to the top of it, and um, the lady is not far behind them, climbing up the, the winding staircase. So him and Tess are up at the top, and he says something along the lines of, there's nowhere to go now, like, you know, she's going to get us. Uh, and then he says, and this all happens very quickly, he says, uh, you know, like, she she can't get to me, she'll, she'll take you, or she can get to me, but you're going to slow her down or something like that. And when he does that, he, like, grabs Tessa's head and throws her off the side of the water tower. And at that point, we're like, okay, yeah, this is a terrible guy. So we see Tess falling in slow motion, um, already shot, like, basically done for. Uh, there's no way she's going to survive this fall. And she, like, splats on the concrete. And then we look up from her perspective and see the wrinkly lady do, like, a swan dive off of the the um, water tower after her because, you know, she wants Tess. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention was... When they were talking to the homeless man, he said something about, um, like, the family that lived underground and there was a lot of inbreeding. And if you make a copy of a copy, like, that's what you get. So at that time, we find out that this is not the old man's wife that lost a baby. This is, like, his his lover, but also granddaughter, but also daughter, but also wife. Like, like they he basically... When he was, like, doing these things on the video to all these girls, they started having babies, and then he started having babies with his babies and so on and so forth. So that's why this woman looks like this, because she's a product of inbreeding, uh, which apparently also equates to uh, superhuman strength and resiliency. Um, but, you know, I can give him that. Um, so... Yeah, but basically that's why she's kind of not all there, um, and she's kind of fixated on this having a baby thing, and she wants to, to treat these two as her babies. So she, she dives after Tess and hopes to, you know, save her baby from being thrown off the water tower. Uh, then Justin's character looks off the water tower and looks down at them and sees them laying there. We assume they're dead. So he uh, grabs the gun and runs back down the the water tower towards them. And um, I was thinking at this point, like, okay, is he going to shoot one or both of them? Uh, shooting, shooting the wrinkly lady to ensure that she's dead. 
but also maybe shooting tests to put her out of her misery or something. Um, so at that point, I'm not really sure what happens with the gun, but the wrinkly lady somehow makes her way out from underneath Tess and grabs AJ's head and uh, pushes her long, nasty fingernails into his eyes. So his eyes are, like, gouged out and, like, they squirt out with, like, it looks like vomit, oatmeal, cottage cheese, like, coming from his eyes. It was really gross. And then we get a shot from behind his head looking at her and she just basically, like, rips his head open. Uh, so, yeah, it was that was really gross and I definitely didn't expect it to be this gory, but it was... I mean, I didn't mind it. Uh, so then, after uh, AJ is definitely dead, uh, the wrinkly lady, like, leans over Tess and looks at her. And Tess, we see, is alive, barely, in very much pain. Um, and the the woman is looking over her and, and trying to help her and trying to pick her up and saying, like, my baby, baby. Um, and she's saying, like, ba, ba, ba. Like, she doesn't really speak in words. Uh, but more like sounds and moans almost, um, saying something along the lines of, you know, like, go back, go back there, like, let's go get help, come on, let's go, and Tessa's like, no, I can't go back there, like, I can't, and, um, uh, the woman, like, kisses her fingers and then, like, puts her fingers on Tessa's forehead, like the woman in the nursing video did, and, um, during this time, then Tess picks up the gun and holds it up against her face, the woman's face, not her own face, and, uh, pulls the trigger and shoots the wrinkly woman dead. Uh, Apparently she wasn't invincible, um, everything up until that point didn't kill her, but a bullet directly in the head obviously did. Um, this brings me to another thing I was going to mention. I don't know if this is if this was the actual thing that happened or if maybe I just kind of thought it did, but when Tess pulled the trigger and shot the woman in the face, at least in my theater, the lights of the theater came on immediately, almost as if, like, somebody flipped the switch, like, the minute that she shot the gun. So, like, the flash of the gun was bright on the screen, but then also all of a sudden the room was bright, and I was like... And, like, the movie, like, it was over, but, like, not over-over, like, there was still a scene of her walking, like, getting up and, like, slowly walking, obviously, uh, to try to get help, um, having probably every bone in her body broken, and the, uh, like, the name started to appear on the screen, but the credits themselves weren't really rolling yet, but anyway, so I was just wondering, like, that made me think, like, are the filmmakers able to choose, like, when the lights go on, or did the people of my theater just think, like, this would be a good time to turn on the lights, but anyway, it, like, was super, like, because, like, the very last, like, jump, jump scare, like, loud noise of her shooting the gun, like, coupled with the lights turning on full blast, really, like, got me, and I was like, whoa, this was really cool. Uh, so anyway, so I'd be curious to know if anybody else's theater experience was similar to that, uh, with the lights going on. Um, but anyway, yeah, so then we, uh, we see Tess walking slowly to try to get to safety, and, um, and the credits roll. Um, so that was pretty much, pretty much the gist of the movie. Um, if you are interested in seeing this at all and haven't seen it already, definitely go see it. Uh, it was surprisingly a very good movie. I didn't really know much about it going into it. 
Um, so if you've gotten to this point of this podcast and, uh, you know, I basically have ruined the entire thing for you, but that shouldn't deter you from going to see it, uh, because the, the suspense of it and the, the way that it's done and, and even like the camera work and things like that, I thought was very well done and the way that it played with the aspect ratio and the way that it played with the different like camera angles and the lenses and the different like insert shots and things like that was very like unique and approachable in a way that kind of made me like see it like almost from a filmmaking point of view of like oh like oh I could do this like this isn't super duper cinematic but it I mean it looked great but like I don't know like the camera movements and things like that it was just almost like like oh wow this is this is different you know it almost was it kind of bridged the gap between like cheesy like student film and like full-blown movie like it was somewhere in a sweet spot in between those things uh so I think that was really cool I'm gonna have to look up and see like who the cinematographer was and I definitely am curious to look more into this movie but I just wanted to get my initial thoughts and reactions and kind of an explanation of it out here um to encourage you if you haven't seen it to go see it if you have seen it I want to know your thoughts I want to know what you liked what you maybe didn't like um yeah so hit me up on social media let's chat about it um I'm definitely going to be looking for other podcasts or videos um or things like that related to this and definitely going to be looking out for more uh Zach Kreger movies I guess um I didn't really know a whole lot about him don't really know who he is but after watching this I'm definitely curious to see more and hope hope that he comes out with more things similar to this um I have to say in general like this is probably probably I'm trying to think if I can say this confidently maybe I'm maybe like 80% sure that this is like the best horror movie that I've seen in 2022 um not the best movie I think the best movie I've seen in 2022 was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, But I think even, like, between, like, Bodies, 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 um, which was A24, X, which was A24, typically the things that I would maybe gravitate to more naturally, things like that, I wasn't super impressed with. But this was just kind of out of the blue. Um, Whatever that, that, like, rear window or the yeah that window movie was where the the woman was at the apartment and saw the the creepy guy looking at her from outside of her house and then he comes and kills her. i don't remember what that was called but anyway that was even more like predictable than this uh but this movie like the whole time i was like where is this going like this is just crazy this just keeps like getting more and more like deeper and like what am i watching like i had no idea it was gonna be this gory like the story itself i think even like compared to men which I didn't think was bad. I didn't love it. But, like, this movie compared to that even, like, had more of, like, a story and, like, was more interesting. And, like, this movie doesn't really leave much for interpretation. I think the the things that it tries to do are very obvious. The story it's trying to tell is, story it's trying to tell is pretty obvious. I don't think there's much left up to interpretation where men is, is kind of more like that a24 like what does this actually mean type of a thing but uh this 
was very good. I don't know. I That's all I can really say on it. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I hope to see more like this, especially in a world where we keep getting more and more Halloween movies and more and more cheaply made Blumhouse movies. Um, this, you know, this horror that gets so close, but then just somehow always just misses something, no matter what it is. Um, I think it was really refreshing to have this this new player in the game um and this new take on horror uh a story that you know has somewhat already been told before but just the way that it approaches it is different and unique and i really i really enjoyed it and um the cast was good too uh i really enjoyed justin long's character i i think he was good comic relief and just also you know played it perfectly a really dynamic character where there were points where you were like this guy's a total asshole i hate him i hope he dies and also like oh maybe he's actually not that bad maybe he does feel bad about the things that he's done um and then again at the end like oh oh, nope guess not uh but i think it was a very dynamic way that he played this character uh i definitely hope to see him in in more creepy things as well uh, like Tusk, you know, um, and apparently they're making a Tusk 2, um, called Tusks, plural. Anyway, so that should be good, hopefully he's in that as well, um, but I, I think he does that really good, he's one of those people that you don't typically, you know, see as a horror actor, um, especially being in so many comedies earlier in his career, um, kind of seeing him as a fish out of water in a horror movie, uh, kind of adds to it, I think, um, yeah, so I think that was, that's pretty much it, I think that's pretty much everything I have to say on the matter, um, yeah, so let me know what you think, let me know, uh, what you think of this podcast, hopefully you stuck around and you enjoyed it at least a little bit, um, but I'm looking forward to having more conversations about this, and of course, covering more horror films, books, media in general in the future, uh, so if you like this podcast, please um, add it to your favorites, if that's a thing. Um, leave a review, comment, share, subscribe, all of those things. Um, and yeah, let's uh, keep watching some cool horror stuff. So hit me up. All right, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Horror Pickle Podcast. Again, my name's Jordan, and I hope to see you next time. Have a good day, everyone.